Hello, I'm John Ellis, and welcome to episode 57 of Pitodri PS, the predominantly Dons-based podcast featuring not just the Dons' first team, but a look across the age groups and genders at the club. And we focus on the respective progress of Cove and Peterhead too, as well as the Northeast local representatives in the Highland League and juniors. And not just football, but any sport making headlines in the northeast of Scotland, or featuring someone from the northeast of Scotland. Joining me for this journey, as always, Dave McDermott and Andrew Shiny. So here we are, recording this episode on the morning of Tuesday, November 15th, 2022, reviewing our matches against Dundee United and Livingston before a World Cup induced earlier than usual winter shutdown. Plus all the action from the under-18s and women's teams, and we're across the country and down the leagues for a look at the rest of the northeast too. But first, to the game most recent in our minds, Saturday evening at Petodre the Dons looking to bounce back again this time after a 2-1 humbling at the Tony Macaroni Arena to Livingston in their spaghetti had. Uh, the time prior to this when United hosted the Dons gifted them their first win of the season in a dismal 4-0 thrashing and in the week the Tandarice team travelled north for the return leg they smashed another four into the net this time against Kilmarnock in midweek so how would things go when the Dons welcomed United to Petodri, this time for Saturday night football? Well, as you'll know by now, this one ended 1-0 for Aberdeen, more recognisable at home than away, which has provided an equal source of delight and frustration at times already this season. Not entirely our own way, in fact, it's probably as close as we've come to winning ugly this year. Your thoughts after that one, Andrew? Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good description of it, winning ugly, because it, it wasn't a game that's going to live long in the memory, to be perfectly honest. Um, football only broke out in sporadic flashes. It was uh, pretty much a tactical battle with both sides just about cancelling each other out. And you were looking for just a, a bit of inspiration from somebody. And I think it came when Boyan Majofsky and Duke dovetailed together very well on a breakaway, it seems to be a, a bit of a, a recurring theme for Aberdeen these days that they're, they're decent on the breakaway because they've got pace up front, but the two worked the, the space well together. Duke played through. I thought his first touch wasn't the greatest because it was taking the ball away from goal, but Mark Birrigiti, the Dundee United goalkeeper, had just decided, I'm coming for this. He'd, if he'd just taken a split second to think, the boy's going away from goal onto his weaker foot, just usher him out wide. But no, he hurled himself in. Uh, Duke got a, a toe end to the ball just before Birgitti hit him. Down he went. Willie Colliman, absolutely no doubt that it was a penalty. Uh, indeed, no doubt whatsoever that there was no need for any VAR interjection there to check the penalty or anything like that. Indeed, it was what we can now term a white screen evening. Nothing happened whatsoever with VAR, which was very welcome given what had been going on during the day earlier. <laughs> but I thought, you know, big kudos to Boyan Miofsky stepping up to take the penalty, having missed two in recent weeks, albeit he did score in the, in the retake against Hibbs, stepped up, stuck it in the bottom corner. And that really was the difference. There were few opportunities. Duke had won first half when uh, Ross Graham inexplicably ducked underneath a long clearance from Kelarus, not realising that Duke was behind him. And Duke's lob obviously went wide. And I think when you saw it in the replay, we were watching it um, from the stand and it was slow motion, wasn't it? I mean, Absolutely. It, it was like, oh, oh, that's got to go in. Is it going to go in? Is it going to bounce too high? Is it going to bounce wide? Ah, oh, it's gone wide. When you saw it from the other angle, it was a poor effort, really. 
to be honest. I'm sure Duke himself would agree with that. And then Matty Kennedy had a chance right at the death just to put the icing in the cake, but shot over. But um, I, I thought Aberdeen defended well. There was some good, solid performances uh, in the back division. It wasn't pretty. It was a huge attendance, biggest attendance of the season, over 17,000. So perhaps the Friday night or the Saturday evening experiment may be repeated further on during the season. I don't know when you get into the really bad weather, whether people are going to want to come out for a six o'clock kickoff on a Saturday evening. But certainly they did turn out this week and they went away home fairly happy. And for once, Aberdeen took advantage of all the results elsewhere that went their way and they took full advantage of that and they're now find themselves two points clear in third place going into the break, which, to be honest, a couple of weeks ago, well, maybe more than that ago, you're a bit in everybody's hand off for. Mm. Yeah, in the end, a clean sheet, another three points, and we go into the break in third, Dave, and still in the, uh, the League Cup as well. Overall, Jim Goodwin's on track, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's that's fair comment. But uh, obviously the big elephant in the room is the away form because uh, mm. that's got to be addressed. And certainly the manager, it was, I thought it was quite uh, revealing that the managers came out and publicly said he's going to work on changing his tactics away from home and use the break to, to come up with answers, which basically is admitting that he was getting things wrong when the, the Dons were on their travels, not helped by some very insipid performances on the, on the park. But uh, no, it's, it's great that we're in this position. Um, we've now got time. I think the the American training camp, that will help the guys that are over there. Um, and they've got time to, to really work on things, as have every other club in the league. But uh, hopefully it will come back stronger. And that we've addressed the away form and we're looking pretty comfortable this season. Suppose when you when you don't have things all your own way, uh, logic dict- dictates you, you're going to have an opportunity afterwards to talk about how the defence fared. If you judge the forward line by how it converts chances, the guys at the back achieved their objective of keeping that clean sheet in the Dundee United game. And Anthony Stewart probably had his best game in a Don shirt, Andrew. I thought he did. I think that, again, is very fair comment. He won all his headers. He was up against... Not the fastest striker in the country, but still very skillful, Stephen Fletcher. A real handful to play against. And I thought he won that individual battle, which was very important because Fletcher is very much the, the fulcrum around whom the, the Dundee United attack pivots. But um, I was a wee bit surprised that um, uh, Liam Fox, who is completely unintelligible when he's in the bench in front of you. What was it you said to me? You said, <laughs> said he sounds, sounds like, like a he sounds like a crow. Sounds like a crow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, um, I'm not quite sure the messages that he was trying to get across to his players, but um, uh, they certainly didn't translate into English to the no. two guys in the high vis vest behind him. But uh, I thought he would have used Tony Watt. To be honest, he, he was obviously fit enough to be in the bench, mm. so. Throw him on at some point, particularly when United were pressing towards the end. But he didn't, and uh, the Don's defence handled virtually everything. I was impressed by Dylan Levitt. The first time I've really seen him up close, and he's a very clever football player. He would stand out in a side that was playing at a much higher level than Dundee United are. But United will go away feeling that, you know, they gave a lot to the game and deserved maybe to get something out of it. But they were a bit powder puff up front. But that is down to the fact that Aberdeen defended properly. I mean, there were a couple of occasions where Anthony Stewart just 
wasn't even thinking about playing a pass. Just get it out the park. We did comment he only reached row A of the South Stands <laughs> rather than row Z. But um, anyone will reached, do, Anthony. Anyone will go. Absolutely. And I think it was a an evening where the defence, I think, were told, look, you know, safety first. Mm. Let's not give them anything to grab onto. Because as you say, United had come north off the back of a 4-0 win against Kilmarnock. Now, albeit Kilmarnock defended pretty woefully in that game at Tanneries. But it's when we were talking a week ago ahead of this game and you two were predicting 5-0 scorelines, they never quite materialised. But, uh, you know, we were saying, you know, the chances are that United are going to come up with the confidence levels a wee bit low. But it was the flip side. They came up full of energy, really looking forward to, to playing another side that they'd beaten 4-0, but that didn't happen for them. So all in all, a good night for Aberdeen, but particularly pleasing that we got the clean sheet and that the defence looked a bit more watertight. Uh, a week in Atlanta and then a week off before they go back to it, Dave. I have to point out those first few games back feature Celtic, Rangers and then St Mirren. So the concern, I suppose, is it might not look quite so good come the turn of the year. The flip side is, if they do manage to do well in those games, the confidence will be really high for the new year. Absolutely. Certainly decent performances in all all three games will help. And obviously if we can eke out the results that we're looking for, I mean, I don't think we should worry about Rangers coming up right now. That they're, uh, A lot can happen in this next few weeks, obviously. But they're there for the taking on the, when they're on the road. So, and our home form is obviously very good. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting when everybody comes back because it's almost like a it's, it's a almost like a new season we've seen it before with the winter breaks you come back and things can change teams that were struggling play well vice versa so there's a lot of unknowns coming up I would suggest in December when the sides come back all of this has come at a time without the guy who was our best player for the first few games Johnny Hayes who we understand is pretty close to coming back I imagine once he's fully fit he'll, he'll be a, a steady pick again Andrew but I also wonder if the fact he was missing made us maybe less predictable to play. Possibly, but um, you try and predict where Johnny's going to pop up. Oh, I know. If you're an opposition manager saying to a player, right, go and mark Johnny Hayes, but he will appear in the left wing, he'll appear at right back, he will be winning headers in the middle of the defence. Like whack-a-mole. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think it's very encouraging that um, we've put together a few reasonable results Okay, one or two if he wants in amongst there as well, but some decent results, particularly at home, without Johnny Hayes, because there was a danger that we were becoming a little bit too reliant on him, and there was always this fear when his name didn't appear on the the team lines that you thought, oh no, we're going to really struggle here because who's going to step up to the plate? But a number of players have done. Matty Kennedy once again, I thought very, very good in the second half at Livingston when he came on. Again, very good in a a different role on Saturday night there. Started playing at at right wing back, ended up um, over on the left-hand side. I think there there have been a few that have have come in and done well. Connor Barn just gets stronger and stronger with more game time. Uh, He's not away to Atlanta because he's with Scotland's under-21s. Indeed, I think there's half a dozen players are on international duty. Ramadani will be playing against Italy, 
hopefully for Albania in a friendly international. Boyan's with North Macedonia. They play Finland in a friendly ahead of the World Cup. Connor, as I say, Scotland under-21s. Ryan Duncan and Evan Towler with Scotland's under-19s. And Liam Scales with the Republic of Ireland. So the travelling party that went to Atlanta has been bolstered by a good number of under-18 players. How much they can do in the week in Atlanta to formulate a plan that is going to work away from home, I'm not so sure when you're missing these players. Maybe it's going to be the, the sort of latter fortnight of the the um, lead-up to the resumption of hostilities on the 17th of December that will be used for that. But um, no, I think... The squad strength has been quite good to see from Aberdeen. When we make changes from the bench, you don't feel, oh, right, somebody's going to have to work twice as hard because I kind of see him doing very much in this game. Everybody that's come off the bench has had an impact and that's going to be very pleasing for the coaching staff at Petordi as well. Absolutely, strength and depth. This game, finally, Dave, bizarrely enough, given what had gone before in the afternoon, not a single VAR decision. I think it was probably all the better for it, don't you? Yeah, I think that's what we want to see. We want to see VAR being introduced when there is a clear doubt. That that was what it was all about. There were it wasn't a case of as seems to be in the early stages in Scottish football, you know, every two minutes there'd be VAR checking on something. The fact that uh, it's now become public that it's very much VAR light that we've got compared to the uh, the rest of football, mm. uh, that's obviously something that perhaps should be addressed. But no, we only want to see it. We don't want games going on 15 minutes past their regulated time because there's been so many stoppages. It's not entertaining for the fans and no. it just slows the game and, and spoils it, quite frankly. But then again, the good side is it can a clear, you know, like Mayoff's goal uh, a couple of weeks ago, which would have been pre VAR, been given not been given the fact that VAR, that's the kind of thing where it's useful. Yeah. So it was a very uh, clear decision, but when you looked at it, it was a clear, he was clearly onside and a fantastic finish. It is supposed to to assist. But the problem that you were getting, I think, Andrew, going into Saturday's games was that some players were getting a little bit cute, uh, say, in or around the box and flicking the ball up, just trying to hit an arm. And secondly, the other thing was some referees were delaying making a decision because they don't want to look stupid off the back of it if VAR corrects what they've done. And that and these these are issues that have to be ironed out, Andrew, wouldn't they? It's still very much a learning process for all involved. But as Dave said, as long as we're reaching correct decisions, but the, the big bugbear for everybody just now is the handball law. And I think it's the, it's the way that the, the law is written um, as much as anything else. I mean, when they took out the intentional element of handball, which was necessary for a penalty to be awarded, it just opened up a huge can of worms. And I think it's another classic example of somebody that doesn't really know the game, that's never played the game, sitting redrafting a law and going, oh, intentional, no, we'll take that out. Don't need that word in there. And as a result, we've seen some truly bizarre handball decisions. But as Dave said, I think in a lot of these occasions, the referees have been thinking, that hit a hand. No, I'm not going to say anything because my my colleague down at Clydesdale House will look at that and then we can look at it together and work out what's happened there. But David Monroe gave a really bizarre one against Matt O'Reilly on Saturday. Celtic have gotten the wrong end of a couple of 
very poor VAR handball decisions, which of course has got the conspiracy theorists amongst the <laughs> us support way up in arms. Yeah. This is all a big conspiracy to help Rangers get back into the title race. Well, they're nine points behind, guys, so don't get yourself too excited about it. Uh, I think it's one of those that it's better than it was, it's not perfect, but you hope that in the fullness of time it improves. It was funny, I've got to go in and introduce myself to the fourth official to let them know where I'm sitting um, because I'm the VAR coordinator at Pataudry, as you know. And when I went in to, to speak to the fourth official, Willie Collum, of course, was the referee, and he says, what do you need to speak to us about? And I explained it all. Oh, fine. And I said, look, guys, it's going to be a really quiet evening. Just enjoy yourselves and let's hope that there's, there's nothing amiss. At the end of the game, Willie came over and he says, you told me it was going to be quiet and it was. Can you come and do all my games? <laughs> Sure, I'll, I'll just I'll just switch the computer off at our end. No bother. Yes. <laughs> but if no, Willie was aware of some of the things you said about <laughs> you. Well, funnily enough, he was doing his usual calisthenics in front of us before the game, Dave, and I was just saying, at this point, Dave is going, I hope you pull that muscle. Go on, go on. <laughs> Allegedly. Moving on, next, the under-18s, who last time had a score to settle with top of the table. Hamilton Ackies, who'd beaten them 6-2 when the two sides met earlier this campaign. Settle it, they did. They raced into a 5-0 lead at halftime before finally settling on a 6-0 route with Alfie Bavage claiming yet another hat-trick. Their next match is in Scottish Youth Cup action when they face Queen's Park Friday 25th November uh, at Cormac Park. The Dons would be favourite for that one, I imagine, Andrew. In fact, they, they must have trophy success in their sights this year, given their form. Absolutely. It's a, a trophy that Aberdeen have had decent success in down the years and they would love to get that particular piece of silverware back up to Petardry again this season. And I see no reason why not because, the, as I've said on many occasions, when they click, they're unstoppable, as they showed against Hamilton. Uh, unfortunately, they've had this hiatus because um, they were due to play Motherwell this week, that game called off because of virtually half the team. In fact, more than half the team is away to Atlanta. Um, so, as you say, next game up is the Youth Cup. I believe they did play a, a bounce game. I was speaking to Scott Anderson at halftime at Petardry on Saturday, and he said, I, we, we played a bounce game against Banks of D. Uh, I think whether it was their juniors or not, I'm not sure. But um, he said... It, it was the junior side. It, it was the junior side. Yeah. I thought it probably would be. Um, he said, we, we thought we'd rest Bava. Alfie Bavage, um, because he, he's had a, a lot of football with being away with Scotland, etc. And so we only put him on for the second half. He scored four. <laughs> so uh, he, he hasn't lit up in the, in the goal scoring stage. Oh. But, um, uh, with the, the firepower that Aberdeen have, they're just relentless when they, they get the bit between their teeth. And I would think that it's going to be a, a long, hard evening for Queen's Park. And with a, a fair draw all the way through, there's no reason to believe that the Dons can't go on and win that because on their day, they are the best under-18 side in Scotland. Isn't it amazing when you score three or four goals a game, you two will have your surname changed into a European nickname, Bava. Uh, into the uh, into the championship at Cove Rangers, who have similar challenges to the Dons. They seem to have found their feet in home matches, but struggle uh, to make more of an impact on the road. Last time out, they secured a fine 2-0 victory over Queen's Park. That was followed on Saturday by a trip to take on our Broth, who, although bottom of the table at the time, still provided a nut too tough to crack for Inverness in their previous outing. This one ended 1-1. And actually, Cove only just scraped that point at the death, Dave. 
Yeah, but it was no more than deserved. They dominated the majority of the game. But, you know, our growth are still a good side. You know, the fact that we've mentioned every week almost that it's so tight, the championship. And they, But it was no more than, than Cove deserved. I was delighted for uh, Blair Yule, one of the others who's been with Cove. And, of course, did a wee spell at our growth since Island League days. So, great to see him in it. The good thing about Cove is they obviously never give up because the amount of goals in the last five minutes or in stoppage time has been interesting to look back if Andrew hasn't already for his stats. <laughs> but, um, but no, delighted for them. And, um, as I say, it was no more than they deserved and it kept that gap with uh, Hamilton uh, now struggling right down at the bottom. It's, there's, a, there's a wee gap, but they've got to make sure that there's two teams below them. And that's that's first and foremost the challenge throughout the season. Yeah, you can just hear the cogs turning in the background, can't you? Shannon's is going, hold please, computing, as he's trying to find that statistic for you. Uh, Cove's next match, Saturday 19th, when they're at home to a Morton side, currently second in the table and going pretty well, actually. They'll do well to take something from that, won't they, Dave? Yeah, they will, but they're at home and they have started uh, making, as, as I mentioned last week, they've started making Memorial Stadium a bit of a fortress. But Morton are a great example of it because it wasn't that long ago Morton were right down at the bottom and Doug Emery was, as most managers are, when they're in that position under a wee bit of pressure, but it just shows a few short weeks Kicks with on. the results. Yeah. They've, they've got themselves right up to the top. So, But it, I, I would still fancy Cove at home against Morton. Peter Head next, the uh, the epitome of the bottom of the table club, trying desperately to find some form of consistency, which needs to kick in fast. Their last couple of games alone, a, a microcosm of their season, a fine share of the spoils against second-top Edinburgh, followed by a dashing 3-0 defeat at Montrose. This weekend, they travelled to Airdrie, where it finished 1-1. Encouragingly, Peter Head, the first to score, but they just couldn't hold on to it, Andrew. I, I was beginning to wonder... Uh, if they were maybe in the process of very slowly turning their fortunes, that draw against Edinburgh, a good result. A uh, really misleading 3-0 scoreline against Montrose, as we mentioned last week. And then another draw, which was minutes away from being a win. Maybe just the cause for optimism, I thought, but clearly not enough for Jim McAnally, who called it a day with the club just before we got to recording this week's show. No longer the longest-serving manager in the land. And from the way the press release reads... Uh, it was his own decision. There was no pressure from above. He just clearly felt he'd done everything he could and it was time to go, Andrew. To be honest, it's it's been uh, an announcement that you've been waiting for for a number of weeks, but Jim's obviously felt he's tried everything in his power to turn things around and it just wasn't working. And the, the only way out was, as we mentioned a good few weeks ago, a change of voice uh, at the top and um, somebody to come in and, and just give a, a different Churchillian speech before every game. But, um, yeah, I thought the the statement from Roger Morris and the chairman was very telling that he clearly didn't want Jim McAnally to go and praised him to the, the rafters for the job that he's done at Peterhead's, um, the successes that he's enjoyed and all the, the things that he's done for the club, the, the sacrifices he's made yeah. for the club. I thought um, that was quite uh, telling, the financial uh, the financial sacrifices yeah, he made during COVID uh-huh. to basically keep them afloat. I thought that was quite a nice uh, insert from, from the uh, uh, chairman. It was indeed. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's completely different to what you know normally see in a statement about a manager leaving um, it's almost like out the door you're forgotten mm. um, we better say he's welcome back anytime just for the sake of diplomacy but um, but no I think um, 
it's going to be a quiet place, Peterhead training this week. Um, but they've got another huge game coming up. Um, they've got Dunfermline uh, at home uh, this weekend. But they went down to Dunfermline, you'll recall, not too many yeah, weeks ago. They, draw, they, were, they were 2-0 up and, they, and it ended up... Um, or no, they were 2-0 down, but they grabbed two goals in yeah. the last three minutes of the game, I think. So there is still a fighting spirit there. It's just getting that translated into positive results that uh, they need. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Davy Nichols is going to take charge of the team this weekend. Um, well, that's the story at the moment. But of course, uh, in football, everything can change in the blink mm. of an eye. So if a new manager is appointed, he'll obviously start off with a baptism of fire. And then a home Scottish Cup tie against Queen's Park from the Championship the following week. You just wish everybody well at Peterhead. They're a, they're a great club. Um, there's a lot of really good people involved there. And we want to see our local clubs as high up the leagues as we can possibly see them. The only thing that, um, you know, was slightly disappointing from uh, Peter Head's point of view, having picked up that good point at Airdrie uh, at the weekend, was to then go into the changing room and find that, you know, uh, Clyde had picked up a point as well. Mm. But that was... But no more than that. that been, so, aye, but know. that would have been disappointing for Jim Duffy because his side was 2-0 up at Dunfermline yeah. and got pulled back to 2-2. So it's it's all to play for. But all the time, this gap between these the bottom two and Kelty Hearts is just inexorably growing and growing. I think it's like, is it, it 10 was, points now, the, the, the gap between Kelty and Peterhead? I think it is 10, yeah. And as, as Dave said, you know, with Cove, they're just looking at, right, eighth place, eighth place. Mm. keep two clubs below us. That's what Peter Head have got to be aiming for. Get themselves up so that there's two clubs below them and they don't have to worry about their status for next season. But it's a big ask. But mm. who knows? A new man coming into the helm might just turn things around. Speaking of which, any names that you'd like to put in the frame for that one, Andrew? Well, there's there's one obvious one. Um, Paul Hartley. Now, whether Paul would take on Peter Head challenge... He's out of work at the moment and I'm sure he wants to get back into football. Um, he's based up in this area. So I would have thought Paul has got to be fairly high up uh, the, the the list of potential candidates. Um, out with that, Graham Stewart at Bucky Thistle, would he take a punt and, and going higher up the leagues? I'm not sure. But it's whoever takes it on has got a big job ahead of them. But some some managers love that type of challenge, don't they? We're yeah, a, we're I, a I lost guess. cause. We're a completely lost cause. I go in, turn things around. Yeah. Boost your CV no end. Whoever it is, I wish them well. When, when Andrew said I go in, does he put himself forward? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Paul Harley is the obvious one. And, and Paul also has good success at that level in terms of taking teams up the way. You know, and I, I think... It was always going to be difficult to see where Paul would get back in after the Hartlepool experience, which, to be fair, I don't, you know, it was far too early to be um, jettisoning Paul Hartley and Gordon Young um, after seven games or whatever it was. But, you know, he, he, he also knows, has the advantage, he knows quite a few of the players because there's a lot of players with, they played under him at Cove. Um, so, He's the obvious one, and there would be no relocation for Peterhead to worry about, you know. So, and as but the main thing is he's got experience and success at that level in taking teams up through the leagues. 
Okay, uh, for the Highland teams, a much milder than usual November so far means the campaign continues unblemished by standard seasonal attacks. This weekend, the fixtures threw up an entire scorecard, this time in the first round of the Highland League Cup. The early kickoff was between Tariff United and Clachnacurden. That one finished 4 0 for Tariff. And the three o'clock games ended Brecon City 4, Rothis 2, Broader Rangers 3, Banks of D. Three Banks D winning four three in penalties. I wonder if the fact they've been docked all the points in the league has given them a renewed determination in the cups. Devonvale one, Bucky Thistle three, Fraserburgh one, Inverurie Locos two, Huntley two for Martin United three, Keith nil, Forest Mechanics two, uh, and Lossiemouth nil, Nairn County three. In the juniors, Dave, it was the Quest Engineering Cup that took uh, centre stage and a few surprise results. Uh, Bridget on Thistle 1, Lostermouth United 0, Buckinghaven Hearts 1, Banks D1, Buckinghaven winning 7-6 in pens, Colony Park 2 East End, 2 East End through 4-3 on penalty kicks, Dice 4, Dufftown 1, Ellen United 4, Aberdeen Uni 1, Forest Thistle 4, Newmarket United 1, Glentanner 4, New Elgin 0, Maud 1, Cruden Bay 0, Montrose Rosalie 4, Bankrace and Ternan 0, Rothy Rovers 5, Longside 5, Rothy Rovers winning 3-0 on penalty kicks. Stonehaven 2, Devon side 2. Uh, Stonehaven winning 4-1 on spot kicks. Stonehaven Parkville 2, Cooter 1 was probably the surprise result of the uh, first round. And Sunnybank 3, near St. Ninian 1. One game in the championship. Frisbury United 3 with a Jake West hat-trick. Isleville 2, so they move second in the table, equal behind Sunnybank. This weekend, it's back to the bread and butter of league action with a full McBookie dot com NRGFA Premier League and Championship program. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a belter. That one, Rothy Rovers drawing five. I just, five I, I, but then I, it was three nil and penalties. I know it was all headers that they scored. <laughs> so I was, that's what I was going to bring up. Five five. I just scored five well, goals that, and then well, not scored a pen. Well, it was a great result for Longside. They were probably so shell shocked that it went to penalty kicks <laughs> and practice. <laughs> That is pretty much it for episode 57 of Petaudry PS. We aim to publish every week on a Tuesday if we can, always looking back to the Don's previous fixtures and ahead to the next. Please remember to follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review us, tell us what you think of the show as well. We'd be very grateful. Thanks for checking out Petaudry PS. We'll see you next time.